This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. This afternoon, I want us to think about a passage of Scripture that the Lord gave us, and I believe if Jesus gave it to us, he gave it to us for a reason and for some instruction. And although this passage may be very familiar with, uh, to you, and the principles that are there, nevertheless, they remain important. I believe that the teachings of Jesus were timely and yet timeless. Throughout all eternity, they are sufficient for us. So I want to talk a little bit about building for eternity and exactly what I mean by that and what the Lord is talking about in Matthew 7. We will take our text if you'd like to read along. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I want you to think for just a moment this afternoon about what Jesus has said here. He has told us that there's going to be an assembly in that great day where we will all be before him and we're going to give an account of our life. There's going to be a separation that is involved. And the two groups that he's talking about in this passage are those that have done what he's asked them to do, lived in the way that he has asked them to live, and in a relationship, number three, with him. Because he said there will be those that he will say and make a profession to Depart from me, I never knew you. These folks are the ones that are claiming to do what is right. However, apparently they're not. And their life has been focused in a different fashion than what the Lord has intended for them to be focused upon. And Jesus tells us who these folks are. And it's enlightening to me, and it's also uh, condemning, if you will, this passage is some of the sternest language that Jesus taught. Because we look at what people are doing and how they are doing it, and they look and they say, look, Lord, this is me. I've done all of these things. And Jesus says, I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Who are these folks? Matthew 7, 21 says, But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Apparently, there's two groups of people. They're the group of people that are doing God's will and those who are not. Oftentimes, those who are not are thinking they are. And that they're doing the right thing. But Jesus said that's not the case. After he makes this bold statement to a group of people, and you and I are in that group of people, he said, therefore, because these things are true of what I've told you, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. The rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. 
And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and what? Doeth them not. Shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Jesus looks out upon this group of people that he's speaking to, and he sees two groups of people. Those that are doing his will, those who are not. I believe in every assembly of the Lord's church, we have those two groups of people. I believe in every assembly that, it, that known to man, we have those two groups of people. Those who are doing God's will and those who are not. And Jesus says, and I liken these groups of people to these two men who built their house. One upon the rock and one upon the sand. I want you to notice, Jesus says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's contrary to what we're hearing today. When you go to a funeral today, and I, it's very rare that I have ever gone to a funeral that people didn't talk about the person, the deceased, being better off. They're always better off. Have you noticed that? Now, I don't want to be cruel, and I don't want to be uh, crude in any of that, but oftentimes, and perhaps they're not better off. I want to tell you, if you die lost, you're not better off. No matter what your condition was in your body, you're not better off. But today, the theology of humanism is we all go to a better place. Those who would believe that there is a life after death will often have us going to a better place. But Jesus said that's just not true. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. I want to tell you there's going to be a lot of people lost. Jesus called it many. That group that he sees in every assembly of the saved and the unsaved, those who are his children, those who are not. And he says many walk the broad way and enter in the wide gate. Many. Somebody says, well, how many is that? I don't know. But it's more than a few. And he says, few there be that find it who walk the narrow way and enter in at the straight gate or the difficult gate. There's a few there. Somebody says, how few? I don't know. But it's less than many. <laughs> and that we have to understand. We have to understand that these two groups exist and not everyone is going to be saved. If everyone is going to be saved, what are we doing? We're wasting our time. Everybody is good. If everyone is going to be saved, then why has Jesus given us the Great Commission? Let's understand there is a lost in the world. It's not pleasant to think about because that lost could be sitting next to you or could be living in my home. 
Jesus makes this great division. This division is going to be made final on that last day when we are gathered before him, the saved and the lost. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is it in heaven. He also makes this profession. I will profess unto them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. There is going to be another separation. And it's an eternal separation, and we have to face that. We have to understand that. There is a departure, and that departure is a terrible separation from God. So let's understand today as we're speaking and as we're thinking about these verses that are so common to us. Let's evaluate our life. And if that day came today, what group would you be in? What group am I in? There is no third group. Where are we at? Where are we sitting today? Are we sitting with a profession that we have done all of these things? Therefore, Lord, you know this is me. But also, let's think about this. As I'm living my life, and I still have time, hopefully, I don't know how much time, but I know that in this two classes of people, these two groups that Jesus has set before us of the saved and the unsaved, both of them, both of them have something in common. Both are builders. They're building their lives for an eternity. And every person in this assembly this afternoon are builders. We're all hammering something. We're constructing a life. I look out at this audience and I see different age groups. I see some that's in the springtime of their life. When uh, Robert and I first married, we had a song sung at our wedding that was so common in the early 80s. We've only just begun. We had that song sung. So much of life ahead, that song says. And that's exactly the way we felt. As we grow in our life and as we go, we're understanding that maybe in 1982 when Robin and I was married, we did start a life and we started building a life. We built a, a home and we, of, of a family with children. But I also know that as I'm going in this life that there's something happening to me. And this life is ending. And it's a matter of time till it ends. And the life that I built for my children, well, they're building their own lives now. Yes, we experienced the empty nest syndrome. Somebody said, did it make you sad? I said, after we celebrated for about three years, we started getting sad about it. And I'm being facetious. It is a sad thing. 
you do suffer from it, the emptiness, because after all, you built your life. Every young couple that's got children, you go to a restaurant and you're sitting across from each other at the restaurant. You're looking toward the future. You're thinking about your children. You're thinking about what's, what's ahead for them. You know what I mean? And then you leave the child with, your, with, with the grandparents and then you struggle for something to talk about. So you end up talking about the child that you left with your grandparents. I've been there and done that. That's the way we are because we're building a life. As we get older as grandparents, we start building a life too. We start thinking about our grandchildren. We start thinking about our children. It's all. But I want to tell you something. The question really is what are you building and what are we building for an eternity? That's really what matters. Because we're all building. We're constructing as we go along. There are two options that you have according to Jesus. These options are you can build on a good foundation or you can build on a poor foundation. Many people build on a poor foundation. Many marriages wonder why they are failing. It's because of the foundation they're building on. The professional marriage counselors call it something like triangulation. It's a fancy term <laughs> of triangulation. And this triangulation says that you've got a husband and you've got a wife and you've got a point that you're both striving for. And that's the way, that's the way it is. Every marriage. Now, an unhealthy marriage is building a life with an unhealthy point. They're striving for the wrong thing. A healthy marriage will have two points, a husband and a wife, and this third point that makes the point of the triangle, and as they move up to that point, they grow, grow closer together, and they are striving and working toward Christ, the good foundation. That principle of triangulation is true in almost every aspect of our life. We are moving toward something. We are building toward something. The question is, what kind of foundation are we building on? Jesus gives us two options. One is building on sand and one is building on the rock. Now, I've got a picture here of a, uh, 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 a drill and I went down to Harlington and Scott Pinkerton was drilling holes down there. And Scott had this great big drill that he would drill a hole out there on South Padre Island and they'd fill it full of concrete. The reason why is because it was just sand. And they had to drill that big hole and then they'd fill it, they'd case it and then pour it full of concrete and they could build their hotels on it. And the reason why is we all understand if we build on shifting sand, and I believe that's why Jesus teaches us this parable, that if we are building on a shifting sand, our building is temporary and it will collapse. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We need to understand and remind ourselves often that the things that we are seeing are all temporary. Everything that we experience in this life is temporary. 
And as we said this morning, change is going to happen, and it's often good. Sometimes it's sad. But everything is temporary. And we look at these things that are temporal oftentimes and think we will build a life upon these temporal things. And I believe that is the person Jesus is talking about that builds his house on the sand. Ecclesiastes 2.11 says, Then I looked on the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Now, all of you older guys... Uh, men and women, you know exactly who said this. You've read it many times. Now, maybe some of the younger folks don't know and they don't remember who said it, but I'm going to tell you who said it. He was a, a, a wise man, but not only was he wise, he was the richest man that had ever lived. He had done things that people could only dream of doing. He had things that people could only dream of having. He had worked his entire life and he had amassed this great fortune. And then he concludes and he looks at his life and God gives us King Solomon to show us that even Solomon in all of his glory and all of his wealth, he could look at it and say, I've labored to do all these things and it's all vanity and vexation of spirit. You know what vanity means? Vanity means it's temporary. It's all going to pass away. Now, why am I giving a lesson like this? I'll tell you why. Number one is because Jesus gave it. Number two is because if there were ever a time in our life that we need to be reminded that materialism is temporal and all of the things that we have accumulated and all of the things that we strive for, and all of the successes of this life that people are longing for, we have to remember Solomon and understand that it's all vanity and vexation of spirit. Vexation there means troubling. Oh, Solomon, in all of his riches, he found a lot of trouble in his riches. It vexed his soul. And the poor foundation that builds on material things and temporal things will always find that to be so. 1 Corinthians 9.25 says that every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they that do it to attain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Paul, again, contrasts the desires of life. If we look at an athlete, and Paul is using the athletic uh, figure for us. An athlete trains and they strive and they build their body. They do all of these things and then they win that crown. The Olympics. The top. And he gets his gold medal. And he gets to hang it around his neck and the next thing you know he's forgotten. He's just a name in a book somewhere of a gold medal winner. And the gold is worth only the memories that it had and it's worth only the value of the medal. And then soon, that medal will perish and it will be dissolved. As Paul said, they do this and, des and desire the mastery for a temporal crown. I want you to think a minute. What you desire the most in this world, 
What do you desire the most? Is it something that you can take into eternity with you? Or is it something you're going to have to leave behind if you get it? Paul said, we strive, and we try to obtain this mastery for an incorruptible crown. I want to tell you, and I want to remind you, brethren, that the crown that you and I are striving and working for and living for and building our lives for is an incorruptible crown. It will be one that will last through eternity. And don't give up the fight. Work for the mastery of it. And this is the man who builds his house on a good foundation. And he's called a wise man. Well, isn't there great wisdom in working for something you can keep? I mean, it's just reasoning. Why, to work for something you can't keep and to give your life for it? That's just not good reasoning, is it? Jesus calls that man a foolish man. But a wise man works for things he can keep. Keep beyond this life and into eternity to build a life for eternity. Hebrews 9.27 says that it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. The judgment is sure. We have an appointment to keep. And this appointment will rob people of their temporal crowns. That is for sure. You and I build to last a lifetime. We don't want to be like this person. That's a sad picture to me. And I understand the, the work and the labor that goes into building a house. I understand the dreams that go into building a house and then to have it crumble like that. You know, when we built our little house that Robin and I uh, live in, we built that house. We said, this will do us for the rest of our life. And it has. But I also realize it's made of sticks and stones and that it can burn up and that a storm can come and blow it away. I understand all that. But we don't build for destruction. That's foolish. But when it comes to people's soul, the foolish build for destruction. And think how foolish that is. John 5, 28 says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. And shall come forth, they that have done good into the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil into the resurrection of damnation. There's another school of thought that says we will all be annihilated. I talked to a fellow not long ago, and I asked him, I said, what happens when you die? He said, you just are no more. You're just no more. There, there is so many people that have adopted that school of thought. That when you die, you're dead. You are no more. And we would call it annihilation. We might think about our life as being like that house. That house ends up being no more. It's washed away. But Jesus says that's not the case. Jesus tells us that we are going to be raised from the dead. Leave here this afternoon with that faith and with that confidence. 
you will be raised from the dead. Not only you, but everybody that's ever lived will be raised from the dead. He says those that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. That's a frightening thought if you are one of these persons that are living, building on a poor foundation and constructing your life for annihilation because annihilation's not coming. You will be raised. And we will all stand before God, give an account. So Matthew 7 says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him to a wise man which built his house upon a rock. The rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. I want you to think about the storms in your life. And Jesus paints a picture here of your house, your life, and storms blowing against it. Your storms can be many, many things. Your storms can be sickness. It could be physical impairment. It could be the loss of loved ones. It could be uh, the loss of finances. It is a storm. There's no question about that. These storms can be many, many things in your life. But I want to tell you one that is uh, the biggest storm of all that affects all of us and the storm that affects all of us that can destroy us. Every one of us. And that is the storm of sin. That blows against every house. All of those storms that I've talked about prior to, I haven't fully experienced. I've always had decent health. The impairments that I have are I don't think much worse than anybody else's. I don't know. So you may think otherwise. But we all experience, we've, we've all lost loved ones, so that's to be a given. I only lost one job and was glad when I lost it. <laughs> and what some people count these storms are not really storms, but there is a storm. And the wind blows, and the storm beats upon your house, and the whole purpose of that storm, the whole purpose is to destroy your life. There's no other purpose. And it's sin. And sin can and will destroy every life that's not built in Jesus. You're not strong enough to endure it. You're not strong enough to overcome it. And I'm not either. And as I walk in condemnation to this storm, I walk in condemnation because I am guilty. And I have shame because I am guilty. And the storm of sin beats upon our house, upon our life, until we become non-consequential in anybody else's life, and our own life is ruined, and then ultimately it's destroyed, and other people's lives around us destroyed. Why is that so difficult for us to see? 
Satan blinds our eyes to these things. God shows us. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you and I stand before God today and we are not in Jesus Christ, that storm has been successful and has destroyed you. First Corinthians 10 and 12 says, Wherefore let him that think he standeth take heed lest he fall. Sin is a real storm in our life. And sin will undermine and undercut our life to when it has no stable structure and where it falls. Sin also destroys. First Corinthians 10 and 5 says, But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent, We should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as some were of them, as it is written, The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day, three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Have you ever noticed what all of these things have in common? All all of these things, the the problems of the Israelites in in the wilderness, they had all one thing in common. Their whole life was being built on the flesh. Whether it be fornication, whether it be idolatrous, whether it be covetous, it was all to satisfy the flesh. Sin destroys because sin will focus upon the flesh, and if we live after the flesh, according to the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, we'll surely die. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. It's, uh, that is a uh, convicting thought for me to think that all of these people were killed and uh, judgment was passed on them because they complained. <laughs> Why'd they complain? They were living out to the flesh. God is showing us these buildings that are built upon temporal things. You know, if I'm building on the flesh, I can complain all the time. Because I don't. I, I imagine you, you agree with me that you think uh, like I do on this, but I've never been fully satisfied with the things of the flesh of you. They've never brought satisfaction. They've never brought contentment. They always lead you wanting more. And you're going to complain when you don't get more. And that's the, that's the work of the flesh. And a man who builds his life upon these things, he will complain. He thinks he's entitled. He's entitled to a good rainfall. He's entitled to a lot of sunshine. He's entitled to a fertile crop. He's entitled, he's entitled, he's entitled. Why? Because he's after the flesh. The truth be known, you and I are not entitled to anything. We have no entitlement. The only thing we could hope for, the only thing that we could hope and pray for is the grace of God shine forth in our life. Because this storm that is blowing against your life and against my life is a storm of sin. And it blows fiercely. 
and it blows constantly. And the sin will destroy us if we build upon the foundation of the flesh. According to Matthew 25, sin will separate eventually for an eternity. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. You and I have heard it said that uh, you and I are divided in this world. We're separated in this world. We're separated on many different accounts in uh, many different cultures. We, we're separated by language. We're separated many times by ethnicity. We're separated oftentimes through education. We're separated through wealth. We live in a separated world right now. And I even mentioned this afternoon that there are two groups at every assembly, most likely. The separation of those who are God's children and those who are not. We live in separation now. But there's going to be a day that that separation will cease to be. For we're all being channeled into the same place. Every one of us, male, female, black, white, educated, uneducated, we're all being channeled to the same place to stand before the mighty God and to be judged. And then he will separate us again. And the separation will be for an eternity. To separate and to divide. Sin separates. Sin separates on many accounts. Sin separates families. Sin divides homes. Sin will split up a man and, his, and woman in their marriage. Sin will cause a child to go off and to disown their parents. Sin will cause a person to leave those things and separate from those things of safety and comfort for the wallowing in the mire. Sin separates. And eventually, sin untended will separate for eternity. 2 Timothy 2.19 tells us that we should build and we are building upon a foundation that will stand sure. And this is who I want to talk to you for just a moment about this afternoon, this foundation of God that standeth sure. Having this seal that the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. The separation needs to happen in your life now. Of this division between sin and living for Christ in this foundation. To cease, to depart from iniquity. One night this week, I want to talk about repentance and how we have to decide and come to a change of mind and a change of heart that I'm going to change the way that I'm living and change the way I'm thinking. And I will allow God to work in me to make that change and enact that change. We have to make that separation. 
And then we build upon a foundation that is sure and steadfast, that even the storm of sin cannot destroy us. It's a great hope and a great comfort for me to know that even though the failure that I am because of the foundation of Christ and it being so sure and so steadfast that even my sins cannot destroy me because Jesus overcame them. The two foundations that Jesus talks about are sand and they all constitute and mean the sand of unstable, changing, and temporary. And for those who build their life on the, these things of the flesh, it's, their life is, carries these characteristics of instability, of changing, and obviously very temporary. On the rock, and we build upon the foundation of Christ, we see stability. We see a life that will uh, take on the characteristics of Christ, of never-changing. That the things of the world, though they are thrown at us because of this foundation, you and I are never changing in our focus and the way we are living and what we're building upon. And it also takes on the characteristics of the eternal. And for those who build on Christ, life takes on these characteristics. The life that is built upon Christ is the, a life that you do not lay the foundation yourself. This foundation has already been laid. Ephesians 2.20 says, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. This is a foundation that is sure and stable, and it's true. I'm not much of a builder as far as carpentry goes, but I do know that in every building you start with a corner, and you work from the corner. And if the corners are true and they are accurate, then the building will be true and it will be accurate. Jesus is the cornerstone. And he is true and he's never changing. He's absolute in truth. He's absolute in everything. What he said 2,000 years ago, what he said 6,000 years ago is still true today. And our life, when it's based upon that truth of that cornerstone, then we are building upon that foundation that takes on the spirit of truth. Are we building on this good foundation? Building upon a foundation of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. God doesn't ask us to build our life upon something that there is no evidence for. There's more evidence for Jesus Christ than uh, any historical character that's ever lived. There is evidence for him. We also learn that without faith it's impossible to please God. And we also learn in this passage that the way that we get faith is through his word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Are we building upon that foundation? That stone from the corner has to be laid of faith. Are we building upon the good foundation of repentance? Jesus tells us that except we repent, we shall all likewise perish. We have to have a change of heart and a change of mind. Are we building upon a good foundation of confession? Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father which is in heaven. I think we fail to understand exactly what that confession means. 
I really do. I'm not sure I fully understood it when I was baptized when I was about 10 years old. We ask the question or the question is posed in some form whether I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I want to tell you today what that means when you say that. It's not just the fact that you have this belief much like you would believe in many things but that you are standing in agreement with God. That foundation of being in agreement with God rather than being opposed to him. There's only two classes. You're either in agreement with God or you're opposed to him. You're in disagreement with him. Those who refuse to come to Christ, even though they may believe he existed in some form, the confession is, is yes, I agree with him. I believe him, but more than believe him, I agree with him to the point that I'm willing to align my life with him. So when I confess Christ, that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, I am saying I agree. If I agree with the Lord, then I walk with him. Well, nobody walks with somebody they disagree with. How can you walk except you be in agreement, in unity? So we walk with him because we're in agreement. We agree that he is the son of God, that he is 100% man, he's 100% God. And we make an agreement. Someone who makes the confession that they believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God has laid a foundation and that foundation has been laid by the apostles and by the prophets and we can start building our life upon this faith that God exists, that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Knowing that my life is not what it should be, I make a change of my mind and a change of my heart. I can do that. We change our mind at least 50 times a day. At least my wife does. We know what it's like to change our mind. We can do that. And then we make a confession. I agree with God. I am, I am in agreement with him. And then we continue with this foundation of being baptized. One of the most difficult things for people, all of us, I believe, is we have to fight our conscience. What I mean by that is your conscience will tell you and it will remind you constantly uh, that you're a failure. Your conscience will constantly bring forth things in the past that have taken you out of alignment with God and so look at there, how could a person like you be a Christian? We all experience that. Every one of us. I think Paul experienced it. How can I be made clean? And the scripture tells us that baptism is an answer of a good conscience toward God. You want your conscience cleaned? You'll always have something to point to. 
Always something to look to. This is what God told me. If I obey the gospel of Christ, I participate in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I have aligned myself with him through confession. I have agreed with him. And my conscience now can be clean because I have done what he's told me to do and I don't know anything else to do. This washing, Peter says, is not of the washing of the filth of the flesh. There's many people try to live that way. They commit some heinous act or something and some kind of vile uh, sin and then they'll go take a bath, try to get to feeling better. But washing of the filth of the flesh can only be taken care of through washing of the conscience. Of cleansing of the conscience and of the mind through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we continue to build our life by laying stones of faithfulness. Revelation 2.10 says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. You shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. God calls us to faithfulness. Our life is constantly being built. We're building our lives by the blocks and by the stones that we place into it. I'm asking you this afternoon to build your life upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. Of aligning yourself with that chief cornerstone. And remain faithful in the building of this life. When you and I stand before God on that great day. When he divides the nations. The rich and the poor. The black, the white. The brown, the yellow. When all of these are divided. It won't be based on any of those things. But it will be based upon that fellowship. And that relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.